When you look around in this room, what do you see? I showed you a picture of the ruins of the temple to Apollo that was in Corinth. Showed you a temple. Showed you the ruins of the temple of Athenia. When you look around, what do you see? After you leave in a little while and I have a new members class, I'll be showing them that what you are, and listen to these words, you are the temple of the living God. Are those wonderful words? Is that a great phrase? Temple of the living God. Right here. It isn't the walls, ceiling or floor. It's us. First Corinthians 3, 16 says that we collectively are the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Second Corinthians chapter 6 the temple of God does not have fellowship or communion with Belial. There's three references to the Corinthians with that temple to Apollo. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. There's the map again for you to see the picture, and I appreciate the, the brothers that came even at break time to tell me how helpful it is to see the names of places recorded in the Bible and to get them together in perspective so that the Bible becomes more open and alive to you. I appreciate that. I know it's a little different from my normal practice. I will do anything that is not unscriptural to help you learn the scriptures. And I appreciate everything that's been said about the help of seeing some of these places come together. I hope you're able to see the yellowed cities there in Asia, which are the seven cities of Asia that had the seven churches of Asia. And I hope that you can see this second trip of Paul definitely crossing over from Asia into Europe and for the church at Philippi, where we are now in Acts chapter 16. I hope the Isle of Patmos means something to you, that John was that far north because there are, uh, there are little closings that are not Scripture in your Bible at the end of books that tell us about where Timothy was or where John was at various times. And John had a big role in the church at Ephesus, and he was persecuted and put there on the island of Patmos, which is near Ephesus. This map I chose because of its coloring and the simplicity of its terminology. But I had to change this one seven times. It is amazing to me how people can read the Bible and be so confused about things. He did not go from Troas to Samothracia by land, which is just one of the example changes I had to make because it says he loosed from Troas. That's why I asked you, and you're wondering, why did he say that? Do you loose your feet to go walking? Or do you loose a boat or ship to go sailing? Right, right. Yes to the latter, no to the former. 
And so thank you, Lord. We, we want to learn everything we can about your word. Thank you for showing us about Barnabas. Show us anything. We'll accept it, believe it, and preach it. We're in Philippi. And we got down to verse 12. That they were in Philippi, and we were there in that city abiding certain days. That's the last clause of of chapter 16, verse 12. And so now we are at verse 13. This is painful for me because I want to stop on every verse and do it phrase by phrase like we did John. But that is not my purpose. My purpose is not expositional preaching. My purpose is for you to thank God that these big events took place to get the gospel to you. And second, that you'll be convicted to want to share it with someone else. That's my purpose. And it, it would not be met by us examining every piece of bark on every tree in the forest of Acts 13 through 28. So we're doing it this way, but it's painful because I do want to stop on, uh, on these verses. The other thing that I'm doing is I'm practicing for Isaiah. Because I'm not going to go as slow as we did through John. We're going to keep it moving through the book of Isaiah if the Lord will bless us. Now I know not everything I have said from the pulpit about time management has come to pass. So we'll just trust the Lord on that. But we are in Philippi with Paul. And who else is with him? Silas is with him. Who else is with him? Luke is with him. Timothy's with him. They picked up Timothy and Derby. Amen. And Luke joined them in Troas, as we found out by reading carefully and looking at singular versus plural pronouns. Verse 13, we're going to meet a woman. Just like the Lord met each one of you. Lydia? 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 Do we have three or are there more? I'm scared right now. Did I get them all? Three Lydias. You have a great name. This is a great woman. Watch her. And what the Lord does with her. Verse 14, Acts 16. Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy are in Philippi of Macedonia, northern Greece. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira. Can you see Thyatira on the map? Why would I mention this? Is it important? If it wasn't important, the Holy Ghost wouldn't have told you. Do you know what was in Thyatira? One of the seven churches of Asia. It's... It's okay. I now know what's happening. I want to just smile at the screen. I love it when the screen blinks. It's doing big things that you don't know about yet. And I had to be reminded at break time so that I could have mercy on others than just Barnabas. (laughs) Sorry. Thyatira. It's one of the churches of Asia, and it's written in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. She was from that city. Verse 14, which worshipped God. She was a Gentile that worshipped God. She was one of these devout proselytes, but she worshipped God, our God, Jehovah God, the monotheistic religion of the Jews, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. 
We have skipped a verse, and I'm sorry. We're going to go back and read verse 13. I meant to start with verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside. There may not have been a synagogue in Philippi because of this verse. Every other place Paul goes, he finds a synagogue. Here he doesn't go to a synagogue. There could have been one, and this was the choice God made of where he would go on the Sabbath. But let's go to verse 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So by whatever means, Yellow Pages, Craigslist, a blog, Paul found out that there was a prayer meeting held by a river in Philippi, and he went to that place to meet the women that went there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. The change to take a person from a non-worshipper of God, a non-worshipper of God to a worshipper of God, is his work. We like to find those worshipers of God and show them the way of God more perfectly. And that's what Paul's about to do. She's already a worshiper of God. She just doesn't know about God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and Paul's about to enlighten her. Verse 15, when she was baptized and her household, that means she believed, she besought us, saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So Luke included himself that Luke is now staying in Lydia's house, and Paul's there, Timothy's there, Silas is there. This woman immediately hears the truth of the gospel. She's a worshiper of God. Cornelius was a worshiper of God, but he didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. He needed to meet Simon Peter. Lydia was a worshiper of God. She needed to meet Paul at a prayer meeting by a river with other women, and she heard Paul preaching. Everything made sense to her. She believed it, was baptized, and look at, look at her faith already showing works of, of charity and works of kindness. She besought them. She begged them. She pressured them. Come and stay at my house. I've got a place for you to stay. I don't want you to stay at Days Inn. Come to, come to my house. What does it say? She constrained us. She constrained us. That means she put enough pressure on us that we said yes. And so they went to her house. What we notice here is that God prepares his people and God prepares preachers and gets them together. Did he had that woman all set up for Paul to meet her. Did the Lord have you set up? Were there times in your life where you heard things about Jesus Christ, heard things about the Bible, heard things about the truth, and they were like water off a duck's back? Yes. But then there was a time that the Lord prepared us and we heard it and our response was totally different. Amen. That's the Lord at work. The Lord's at work on both sides. He's working in Lydia. Not only had he prepared Lydia before Paul got there, but while Paul's preaching to her, the Lord opened her heart and she just loved what Paul was preaching. And Paul was being faithful from his side. And when you combine those together, there's fruit, there's conversions, there's blessings, and it's happened to us. And we want it to happen to our children. And we want it to happen to our children's children. We should be desperate about it. As desperate as Paul was in Romans 9 and Romans 10, right. when he said, my, I am continually heavy and with a burden for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, and my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He had that burden for, 
for fellow Jews, and we should have that burden for family members and then reaching out from our family to other close friends, colleagues or others that the Lord puts in your path. But the Lord prepared Lydia, the Lord prepared Paul, the Lord connected them together, not in a synagogue, but this time by a river, and it worked. And look at the fruit in her life immediately, wanting to house the, the apostles and the others that were with them. Great event. We could, preach, we could preach for a long time when the Lord opened her heart, but that's not our purpose right now. We've been over that before, and we know the importance of the Lord not only regenerating us to give us a new heart, but opening that heart and opening our eyes and ears to see and to hear things that even as regenerate men we may have been blind to in the past or tradition had clouded our eyes so that we could not see. So we thank him for all of it. We come to verse 16. Paul and Silas rebuke a devil and are severely persecuted for it. I'm going to read nine verses, starting at verse 16. They're in the city of Philippi. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The Jews had particular times to pray. You can read about it earlier in the chapters of Acts. Paul's not going to offend Jews if there are any in the city by changing those times for prayer. He prayed at other times, I'm sure, as well, but he also prayed at their times. So he meets this woman with a spirit of divination. She's got a devil in her, and this devil allows her to foretell the future to a limited degree. And by her soothsaying or foretelling the future, she was able to make her masters a lot of money. The same, this girl, a damsel, the same followed Paul and us. See, Luke is describing Paul in the third person now and himself as part of us. And cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. That's a whole lot faster than the exorcisms that take place in this world and that are not really exorcisms at all, but it's the devil himself allowing the appearance of an exor exorcism and an exorcist. And when our masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks." What power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when issued by the Apostle Paul with an apostolic gift. Right. You can't go around doing the same kind of thing as that, but we can still pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver men. And the Lord will deliver. But it's not done visually, visibly, one, in a moment of time, like it was for the Apostles with their sign gifts, which was an immediate sign that they had extraordinary power. Now think about it. This girl had some power. The only way you can make money off a soothsaying is if it works out once in a while. The only way you can make money from divination and to have multiple masters 
plural, that have this damsel is because it works once in a while. So it was a profitable business because she did have some devilish power to foretell a few things. The Bible tells us that. Nobody should be surprised. The Bible lets devil-possessed people do sign gifts once in a while. To, this is Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. To see if you're going to follow the devilish sign gift or his word. So he says, I'm sometimes going to let them come to pass just to see if you're going to trust me or them. So do you remember that? But the apostle Paul was able to rebuke her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the devil came out the same hour. Bang! Out of her. And the power that should have been seen by the masters and the power that should have been inquired to by the magistrates wasn't because men are so blind and stubborn against truth. They should have realized we thought we had a special gift in this city, but we just heard the name of Jesus Christ eliminate that gift, but they didn't ask about Jesus Christ. Instead, they come together with one mind, unified against the preacher of the gospel because of this, prophets, and then the slander that the apostles were against the customs of the Romans. Therefore, why do we preach in this church by God's grace? Because some of us that are ancient... We're not always this way. Why do we submit to civil government? Why do we honor civil rulers? Why do we pay taxes? Why are we very careful about these things? Why does our website have a document, God bless the IRS, so that this charge can never be laid against us? I have spoken to the IRS, and I have asked them at times to look our document up, God bless the IRS. They just laugh a little over the phone with me. I don't know if they ever look it up or not. But I want them to. I want them to know what kind of a church we are. Because we can't can't go down for anything but one issue. We're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to go down for that only. So they get together and they they get all eloquent about how they're Romans and they're not going to put up with any rebellion against Rome. And they don't ask if Paul's a Roman. And they don't ask... If Silas is a Roman, they're both Roman citizens. Very special. Very special for Jews to be Roman citizens. And both of these are Jews that are Roman citizens. Very special. They didn't ask. They didn't have a trial. They just beat them, stripped them, abused them, and threw them in the innermost prison. But what were they doing down there in the innermost prison? So we come to verse, there's much more that could be said. I hope that you all know that. There are outlines for anyone that feels that they're getting cheated. On our website, type in Acts in any chapter that you want to type in. Make sure that you look around because there's more than one outline for some of these chapters that are full of information, like chapter 16. There's a 20-page outline on Acts chapter 16. Verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, that's the jailer, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Your performance reviews were different back then than they are now. If you didn't do your job, you got your head cut off. If you let prisoners go, 
then you lost your life. And that, that was high, high motivation to run a good prison and to keep the keys in your possession. Just different way of doing business. You may like it, as long as it applied to other parts of the economy and not yours. The keeper of the prison, though, he's, he's ready to commit suicide. He was a sleeping pagan Roman, ready to kill himself because he knew he would lose his life if the prisoners had fled, and he just assumed that they had all fled. If all, ha- if all shackles and all handcuffs and all bars, gates and doors were opened, there shouldn't be a prisoner in there. They should have all run for the streets. Prisoners don't care about earthquakes if the earthquakes open the prison. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. What a transformation this man. He is a pagan Roman wanting to commit suicide and one minute later he's trembling at the feet of the, he's down on his face before the Apostle Paul, begging this man with a question. Help me. Save me. What must I do to be saved? Deliver me from this mess that I'm in. You guys are crazy. You guys are crazy good. This is just like Sergius Paulus. Do you remember Sergius Paulus? Why did Sergius Paulus on the island of Cyprus believe the Apostle Paul? Because he was astonished at the doctrine of Paul. What was the doctrine of Paul? Thou child of the devil, full of all subtlety and mischief, always trying to resist the word of God, you're going to be blind for a season. Remember? What is it here? Oh, brethren, just rejoice. The Lord's doing something special here. There's an earthquake that opens every cell and all bands are loosed. And the apostle Paul keeps him from committing suicide and says, we're all here. Paul, listen, any other prisoner would have just watched and clapped as the Roman jailer put the sword through himself and committed Harry Carey. They would have clapped. They would have watched. Paul was entirely different. And he's a, this jailer is astonished at the doctrine, so he comes and falls at Paul's feet and says, what must I do to be saved? He hasn't been to Sunday school to hear about salvation. And the way the Arminians abuse this verse drives me crazy, but I don't have eight hours to undo all their mischief. I've only got a few minutes. Just remember that when we look at a verse like this, remember what they do with Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. They don't have a clue what that verse is about. They invent a whole doctrine of inviting Jesus into your heart that doesn't even exist in the Bible for salvation. This guy isn't asking to be born again. He doesn't know one thing about being born again. He wants to be delivered from the hopeless, ridiculous religion that he's been part of and the Roman Empire is part of and the hopeless life that he's lived compared to a singing, praying duo that saved his life and kept all the prisoners in there when they could have and should have escaped. And yet, here they go. A brother and I were speaking at break time about having been at so many missionary conferences in our lives, and they think the guy's asking to be born again. And so all he's got to do is say the sinner's prayer, and he's going to be born again. Everything's going to be fine, peachy, and happy from that moment on. But you know, when Paul says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved, is that all Paul had to say that evening? Why did the jailer get baptized? 
Because the Bible says, and Jesus taught them, all the apostles, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But guess what? All the missionary conferences we went to conveniently left off the second half of that statement. Think with me right now. The missionary conferences you've been to, Mark 16, 15, and 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. They just leave off the baptism part. Paul didn't. So when you read this thing, there are so many things that can be said right here, and they're in the outline that will be published. Not all of them, but remember, there's, there's going to be three outlines. By tomorrow morning, when you go to our website, you're going to be able to type in Acts 16 and find a three- or four-page outline that summarizes the chapter. You're going to be able to find Acts 16. It has a 20-page outline, verse-by-verse, verse of this chapter, and you're going to have Paul's second preaching trip which is the 13 or 14 pages sitting in front of me right now. We do not want to get distracted by this event right here. This, to me, is no different than several others that I can compare for you, and I hope the comparison might help. Listen to these suggestions for your, for your minds. This jailer, in great fear for dereliction of duty, showed a pagan heart about suicide. The jailer did not ask Paul and Silas to hear more about the Lord Jesus Christ. The jailer did not ask Paul and Silas to repeat his favorite sermon he had heard. The jailer did not ask Paul and Silas how they had cast out the damsel's devil. The jailer was not lying on his bed considering their prayers and singing. He was asleep. The jailer was soundly asleep in the vain comfort of his authority and depraved faith. The jailer applied his depraved religion to relieve his fearful soul by suicide. What was the pagan jailer seeking? He was not a weekend theological student asking for justification by faith. He was not asking for election, predestination, reconciliation, or glorification. He was not asking what to do in order to be born again, as many presume. He did not understand God's holy claims against him by Adam's and Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Under great fear and conviction, he was seeking peace with God and hope. God had just rattled his bed. God had just rattled his jail. Jails are not tents, brethren. Jails are the most secure building possibly in the city of Philippi, and God just shook that thing to its foundations, read the, read the whole passage, and loosed every prisoner that was in there, opened all the gates, and here's a man that had not received a fair trial, a man that had been gentle and pleasant in every dealings the jailer had with him, who now spared his life and said, all the prisoners are still here. He came in and fell before him. What must I do to be saved? Can you save me from the hopeless mess that I was born in? Can you save me from the hopeless mess of the Romans? Can you sa save me from the Roman pantheon and all their gods? Can you save me from the Greek pantheon? Because I'm in Macedonia right now. Can you save me from this mess? He was like Sergius Paulus, who was astonished at the doctrine of God and believed on the sheer charging by Paul of a devil-possessed man that he would be blind. Except this is God's work, and that is the earthquake. And then it's Paul's work that uh, no one had left. He knew that Paul and Paul's God and Paul's religion crushed his worldview. His bizarre and drastic behavior after not killing himself was like a certain thief, wasn't it? Are we told in the Bible that there was a thief, that both thieves were 
cursing the Lord Jesus Christ, and then one of them changed, rebuked his fellow, and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That kind of an event happened right here. He was born again by the power of God. He was a sleeping, pagan, suicidal, blind man. Now he's trembling because that whole prison shake was shaking. And this man is operating totally different from anything he's ever seen before. He was astonished at the doctrine of Paul and Paul's God shaking the prison and loosing them all and Paul's religion that he would stay there and be so kind to him. And so all of it came crashing together. What must I do to be saved? Can you deliver me from the mess that I'm in? I don't have anything like you have. Your faith is terrific. Your hope is terrific. Your joy is terrific. You're happy in here having been abused by the magistrates of my city. Lord, have mercy upon all the hearers to read their Bibles carefully and to remember the five phases of salvation and to remember that when we read a pagan saying something, we don't get moved unless it's scriptural terminology. And the word saved is way too general. It's just deliver me from my mess. What must I do to be saved? Remember the certain pagan king once said, I see four men down there in the furnace and the fourth man is like the son of God. Oh, should we get all worked up about Daniel 3.25 because Nebuchadnezzar saw he saw the Son of God in a fiery furnace? Was Jesus back there in the fiery furnace? Not a chance. There was an angel there, and the poor pagan didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And so we, we learn things by studying all that the Bible has to say. And so Paul takes care of this man with a great answer, which is the answer we should give anyone But it's not the end of the answer. It's only the beginning of the answer. But it is the answer we ought to give anyone that says, what must I do to be saved? From our standpoint, it's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Election is God's choice. Justification at the cross is God's choice. Regeneration of the Holy Ghost is God's choice. But if you want to start with the evidence, we take faith. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll save your house from a worldview that's wrong and from all the devilish ideas that you and your family have had and that your family traditional religion has had. You'll be converted. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in the great day of judgment because that's the evidence that your name is in the book of life. But if you want to to increase that evidence, you're going to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and you're going to add lots of things to faith. So to faith we add virtue and knowledge and godliness, patience, brotherly kindness, temperance, charity, and not in that order, uh, and so forth, is what the Bible teaches us. Consider, Consider the drastic change in a certain thief. Then this man. What do we say happened? We say that very likely the thief was born again on the cross. Consider how the eunuch and Cornelius were both moved to seek more truth in their respective ways. I've already mentioned Sergius Paulus, which to me is the best comparison. Recall how superstitious and confused the citizens of Lystra were about Paul. Compare how the hopeless philosophers, some of them, turned to the truth of Paul's words. Some of those philosophers on Mars Hills, Mars Hill heard Paul and turned to him and followed him and were converted. What was that jailer's religion? The pantheon of the Greek and Roman gods. Total confusion. 
No hope in his life. Do you know what the Bible says about us Gentiles before we hear about Jesus Christ? It's Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. We are without God and without hope in the world. We're strangers and aliens from everything that is good that God ever gave to this planet because he gave them to the nation of Israel and we're outside that. We have nothing. Traditional religion has no hope. Buddhists have no hope. This man had no hope. But here were two men standing, Paul and Silas, that were full of hope, full of joy, full of peace. Their backs bleeding. They've been mistreated. Their God has come to their rescue and shaken his mighty prison to its foundations. And no one has run away. His life is saved. This God has saved his life and saved Paul and Silas. He, all of this comes crashing together. What must I do to be saved? Deliver me from the mess that I'm in. That's what save means. Or, or should we put so much stress on that word save that we can go to Matthew 14, 30, and when Peter is sinking in the water and he says, Lord, save me, that that's when he was justified, regenerated, elected, glorified, and his name was written down in glory? Or did he just say, don't let me drown. Help, help me. When Peter said, Lord, save me, was he saying anything more than, Jesus, don't let me drown? What was this man saying? Get me out of the mess that my, my family and I are in with our false religion. I don't, I don't know your God. I don't know your religion. But obviously, he was astonished at the doctrine. And they said, Paul and Silas answered in verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house, because Jesus Christ is the great liberator of men from all the false doctrines that men have come up with, and the devil has foisted on this world. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. See, he didn't know anything about the Lord. They had to tell him, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, just like Lydia. The Lord opened his heart, just like he opened Lydia's heart. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What a change. This change can't take place without regeneration taking place first. Regeneration had to occur in his sleep while he was in his bed or at some other time in his life when he had never lived a, a bit of his life in obedience to it or it occurred on his, on his way for calling for a light and falling down before the Apostle Paul. Boom! He's trembling before an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The change. The Bible says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Something happened to this man that was drastic. All of a sudden, he's filled with charity. He's filled with kindness and good deeds. He's rejoicing. He's full of joy. Everything's wonderful. My prison's ruined. <laughs> Everything's wonderful. Because I'm hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord opens hearts and makes changes. Right. And every one of you, if you're honest with me and if you're honest with the Lord, and we don't try to deceive him in this assembly, there were times in our lives where we really didn't care very much about the things of the Lord, but the Lord spoke differently about our lives and changed us, and we did care. And we cared greatly. He's rejoicing and believing in God with all his house. The Lord made more changes than just one. You know, when I read this passage, I don't know how you read it. I just want to, when I read this passage, the earthquake was pretty powerful. But the change in men's hearts is more powerful. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that the power that it takes 
to get a person to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same power that it took to raise the dead body of Jesus Christ. In a shaking prison, there are no dead bodies raised. That's why I say to you that when I read this, the change in this family, and there's families sitting here right now, Where's my father, the son of a devil worshiper? Do we, do we fit this? Rejoicing in God with all your house? Thank you, Lord. Did he call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, indeed he did. How could he call without hearing? Or how could he call without believing? Excuse me. How could he believe without hearing? How could he hear unless preachers were sent? That's why I'm preaching this to you. That jailer had all the dots. Brother Jeff, are there some dots in this story? (laughs) The jailer, why did he pick it for a career? Why was he there at this time? The Lord, it's just a fantastic story. Zach, the Lord ever change you? We've been changed. And it takes these different steps of God sending preachers and God preparing us, and they meet at the right time. And these two met at the right time. The one is trembling at the feet of the Apostle Paul saying, what must I do to be saved? You just show me what I need to do to have your God, your religion, your hope, your faith, and I'll do it. And straightway, immediately he was baptized. Straightway, it affected his whole family. Straightway, they're rejoicing. They're feeding the apostles. They're washing their stripes. They're taking care of them that night. Verse 35, and when it was day, the magistrate sent the sergeants saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told the saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. Can you imagine Paul after this? What would the average man have done? I'm very glad that you now believe in my God. I'll be seeing you later. I'm going to go hitchhike to the next city. No, Paul said, put us back in there and lock us back up. We don't want you to get in trouble. Just lock us back up. Lord's going to take care of us. Come on. Listen, I'm too clean now. Put me back in there. The magistrate sent the sergeants, their underlings. Tell that jailer, let those men go. We don't know. All we know is there's a God in heaven. The Bible does not tell us. They did not come to the the idea that they were Romans because they're going to be shocked in just a minute that Paul and Silas were Romans. So it wasn't that. It was the Lord doing something. And I want to tell you that the Lord is in charge of all political events and never forget it. Because when we get over there to chapter 18 and we're in the city of Corinth, the enemies of the gospel are going to create a street riot that are going to bring the Apostle Paul before the deputy of the Roman government. And Paul is not going to have to say a single syllable because God had told him, I have much people in this city and no one is going to hurt you. He is in the middle of a riot. They want to pull him apart and they have him before Gal. I'm sorry that I'm preaching 18 before I finish 16, but I, I can't wait for it. And if I end up getting you there by a hodgepodge, I'm not going to apologize very long. Just a little while. He doesn't get a single word out of his mouth. Did you read this last night? And Gallo said, 
you Jews and all your superstitious religious ideas. If he was, if you had some legal matter here, he was guilty of some street lunacy or something. I'd, I'd listen to it, but listen, get out of my sight. And he says it so strongly, the Greeks standing there grab Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the prison, and beat him. That is not right in front of a Roman deputy, but they beat him, and it says the Roman deputy didn't care because he was, the Lord was setting the lines and drawing the line in the city of Corinth. Paul didn't even have to say a word, and he was delivered. You should rejoice when you read the Bible at events like that. Oh, I'm getting so off track. But I want to tell you this. When you open up First Corinthians, did you just hear the name that I mentioned to you? When Paul arrived in Corinth, he converted Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was quickly replaced by Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue. And in front of Gallo, Sosthenes was beat by the Greeks. And Gallo just let it happen. When you open the Bible, First Corinthians chapter 1, do it. Who wants to read it to me first? And if you don't cry, you've got a hard heart. I know I'm off track and I don't care. As long as I communicate the gospel to you, here's what it sounds like. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Do you have a heart that's moved by that? That chief ruler that was beaten in the place of Paul as God drew the lines in the city of Corinth was converted by Paul. Paul had two notches on his chief ruler belt, one named Crispus and one named Sosthenes. And when he wrote this church, there's Sosthenes in the first verse. Brethren, this is our God. And he sent his gospel out by preparing people in all kinds of different ways. And he's done it to us as well. Verse 36 of Acts 16 The keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul that came from the magistrates through the sergeants that were telling the jailer to let Paul and Silas go. The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned. Being Romans and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privately? Nay, verily. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. Now, I've been written about this verse many times over the years as if Paul's being disrespectful to government. He's not being disrespectful. He is being as wise as a serpent. He is setting a precedent case to protect the Philippian church in days to come. By He could have appealed to Caesar. He could have got those magistrates in serious trouble, but he didn't. He just said, why don't, you, why don't they come and fetch me out and we'll have a little chat And I will set a precedent that this Philippian church is not to be messed with because we are Roman citizens and they mistreated Roman citizens. And if we ever have to pull an ace to protect this religion and this church in the city of Philippi, we've got one to pull. I just want them to know what it looks like. Are you with me on this? This Paul is brilliant. He's always brilliant. Why is he always brilliant? Because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God who gave us the Bible and you can be brilliant to the degree that the Holy Spirit fills your life. They have beaten us openly, in public, uncondemned, being Romans, 
and have cast us into prison without a trial, and now do they thrust us out privately, putting this, sweeping this all under the rug? Five counts. Can you imagine the sergeants taking this news back? But the worst part of it's the middle one, being Romans. Silas was a Roman. We can tell by this. Paul and Silas, by God's providence, to make sure that his Jewish apostles and prophets were Roman citizens because they were going to be preaching in the Roman Empire, God arranged all that. It was so rare to be a Roman citizen. Do you remember when Paul was beaten down in Jerusalem and the centurion came in, or the captain came in and said, I had to pay a great price to get my citizenship. And Paul said, well, I was freeborn. Because it was a very precious gift, but the Lord arranged all that. What the Lord does to get preachers to people. Amazing. That's why I'm preaching this, so that you'll say, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Verily their sound went into all the world. Romans chapter 10 and verse 18. The apostles' sound went into all the world. Verse 38, And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. Yeah, you bet they did. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. They're begging, pleading for Paul and Silas to please not give them any trouble, but to leave the city. What does Paul and Silas do? They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. So Lydia would have been known as a friend of Paul and Silas. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Thank you, Lord. We're going to leave Philippi. Very quickly, just the first few verses of Acts 17, because I have preached the rest of Acts 17 to you just a few weeks ago. It's called superstition or truth, or superstition versus truth. So let's just jump right into verse 1 and cover a few verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis, can you see it on the map? When they passed through Amphipolis, and then Apollonia, and then Thessalonica. So they left Philippi here in Macedonia. They went to Amphipolis, then Apollonia, Apollo. That's not hard to figure out, is it? And they came to Thessalonica. So we're at verse 1 of Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. There are two things here that we want to learn. And remember, one, Paul had to preach the gospel first to Jews. So the order in these cities is to obey Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It's got to go to the Jews first. It's Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jew first. So he always goes to synagogue to fulfill that part of his ministry. The second part is to show us that we go to look for God-fearers. Wherever in town we can go to find God-fearers is where we want to go. We don't go down by uh, Bridge Park, Falls Park or whatever it's called and preach on the street. That is contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is wrong. When you see those guys down there hollering away with their Bibles, they're casting pearls before swine. Jesus Christ did not lift up his voice in the streets. That's wrong. 
we go looking for God-fearing people. We go looking for God's elect. And so Paul, for the second reason, Paul would go to the synagogues because there would be people there that worshiped God, Jews, and there would be Gentile proselytes there. But look at what he did. This is Paul preaching. Verse 3, opening. An opening statement is what lawyers do in court, alleging, charging with truth, bringing forth facts to allege a particular thing being true. The terminology is fantastic. Preaching is not storytelling. Preaching is opening arguments and alleging facts and bringing evidence to bear to prove the opening statement and the facts that you're bringing to result in a conclusion of true or false about the message that Paul preached. And the word reasoning is used over and over by Paul, which is using argumentation to prove a point and to persuade men to a new position. That's what preaching is. It's what I do all the time with you. I write you and I'm constantly pushing you, reminding you, trying to persuade you, because that's what preaching is, opening and alleging. I love our, pa- our brother Paul, that Christ must needs have suffered. Look at what I'm showing you from the Old Testament, Jews. Jesus had to have suffered because look what Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 says and risen again from the dead because of what Psalm 16 says and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is the Christ and Messiah of God. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks a great multitude and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews, which believe not, moved with envy. We've run into that before. Others don't like churches that are growing with the truth. Moved with envy. Acts chapter 13, the Jews were moved with envy. Took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people, them being Paul and Silas. And when they found them not, that is, they did not find Paul and Silas, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. The others that were with Jason, they they posted bail, they posted bond for their bail and and were released. But notice, again, we are reminded Let us obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake to shut the mouths of our enemies so they can never accuse us of being against the laws of the land. The Thessalonians knew that if it was reported to Rome that there was a street riot in the cities of Rome and it was about men preaching customs contrary to Caesar, that that whole city would be called in question by the Roman legions. Serious business. We We want to be free from that. I want you to notice, what city is this? Thessalonica. Did Paul write an epistle to the Thessalonians? He wrote two. In the second epistle, in the second chapter, which I preached to you a few months ago, did he foretell the overthrow of the Roman Empire? That which now letteth shall let until it be taken out of the way. Why was he so obscure? Well, he went on to say, when I, was with, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. I'm not writing them plainly right now because I'm not going to write the Roman go- government is going to be overthrown and in its replacement is going to come the Roman Catholic Church or the man of sin. Why? 
What you're reading right here in Acts 17, the charge that was laid against that church. He had to be very careful. So it all, the whole Bible should just come together like a, that it's the most beautiful thing. If we'll just learn it and read it, Lord, show us what we don't see and I'll preach it. And I'll apologize. Verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea. Okay, let's look at our map. Let's look at our map. I love flickers. There's Berea. So the brethren immediately sent them away from Thessalonica to Berea. Now all those of you in here that might be jaded and might have a drag coefficient on talking to Thessalonians, gotcha, just go to the next city because you never know when you're going to run into a Berean. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. That's a private joke, but I hope all of you are listening. If you get discouraged, do you run into Thessalonians often when you're trying to share things about the truth, about the Bible, about our church, about Jesus Christ? Do you run into a lot of Thessalonians that get envious and bring lewd fellows and make charges and accuse our church and accuse our website of this and of that? Just go to the next one. When a certain Samaritan village, let's talk about, when a certain Samaritan village didn't get excited about Jesus the way the apostles thought they should have gotten excited about Jesus. James and John wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn them up. And Jesus said to them, I forgot that. Ye know not what spirit ye are of. I didn't forget it. Ye know not what spirit ye are of. Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. So what was Jesus' solution? Just go to the next village of the Samaritans. And that's what we've got to do. We're going to get shot down so many times. What if Jesus had given up because he got shot down a few times? John the Baptist, the apostle. Did Paul ever get shot down? But he just kept going. Let's just keep going and waiting for the Lord to give us our opportunities because we're going to run into Bereans. Weren't you a Berean for someone one time? Oh, yes, Ed. Matthew and Angela, right there. Natalia, after this service, you ask Poppy what Pastor was talking about. It's very nice for Poppy to have his granddaughter. Verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And we want to be noble in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind. Let's always be ready, eager to hear anything from God's word. All readiness, not a little readiness, not once in a while readiness. They received the word with all readiness. They were prepared. They were eager. They were anticipating. They were excited. They embraced the words. They were focused. They were thinking. They were not distracted by junk going on around them. They don't sit in the back row. They want to get as close as they can to the front because they want to hear everything and embrace everything and learn as much as they possibly can. And they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So that because Paul was appealing to the Old Testament, they could go check it out that what Paul was saying about the identity of Jesus Christ was indeed true. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Listen. People that didn't know each other beforehand will become friends because they will hate the truth and they will hate the presenters of the truth. 
There are people that hate our church, hate your pastor, and become friends with each other, join their efforts together because they can't stand the truth that we preach in this church. It doesn't bother me one bit, but it's out there. It's real. Many of you or most of you know about it, and it's just the way that it's always been, the way it's always going to be. People that are excluded for righteous reasons, very carefully done, case by case, will join together to attack the church that they once committed to and promised their devotion as Christians. And now there's not a Christian thing about their lives. But they sure will attack those that they once fellowshiped with. But we're used to it. We appreciate it. I jump for joy over it. I get excited about it. I am glad on this particular account and this account only that there are certain things in my life that they get to use. It thrills me. I rejoice. I shout, thank you, Lord. Because if God's able to use all that to bring about things that look like the apostles, I was told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, to rejoice and be exceeding glad because they did these same things to the, to, to the prophets, and your reward is going to be great in heaven. We want to be like these Bereans. These are wonderful brethren. But Paul's in trouble. Now, I'm going to show you one of the little difficulties. And one of my, I had to change this map seven times, and here's one of the changes. Verse 14, then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. But Paul went to Athens. That's what it's going to tell us in the next verse. Verse 15, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. How'd they take him, by ship or by land? By land? Because of a few words that are stuck into verse 14? <laughs> they sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. So Paul went over to the sea like he was going to take a ship to unknown ports that would totally end the pursuit out of Thessalonica and Berea for the Apostle Paul, and they went overland down to Athens so Paul could keep right on preaching in Greece. But no one would know about it for a good while. We're done with Acts 17. Turn to Acts 18. Now I can finish what I stuck in the middle. Amen. Corinth. Why are we done with Acts 17? I just preached it to you three weeks ago. You all know about it. Listen, I got you to Athens. We're in Athens. Let's circle that thing. Circle. There it is, Athens. Huge, important city. And we studied that a few weeks ago in a sermon that's on our website just a few weeks ago, Superstition versus Truth. Then he comes over to Corinth. I'm telling you, Corinth is ideally situated. It has access to the Aegean Sea and access to the Adriatic Sea. It is a phenomenal location, and thus it was very rich. Can you see? Here's the Aegean Sea coming into Corinth. And here's the Adriatic Sea. The Adriatic Sea, Ante and Kate know a little bit about that one. And so there we are, Corinth. It's a great city. It was very prosperous. It was very wicked. It was like our San Francisco. It, it, there were verbs and nouns created. To Corinthianize a person was to corrupt them into lascivious sexual immorality. The city was so wicked. And you know, cities do vary. There's Thessalonica, then there's Berea, 
Then there's San Francisco. There's Greenville, and there's San Francisco. And until last week, Greenville and San Francisco were very different. Very different. And so there are different cities and there are different people that you're going to run into when you're sharing the gospel. Let's just keep looking for them. But we're, we're in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. We're not told about a church in Athens. But we did have some believers there because we were told about them in the last verse of chapter 17. Verse 2, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus. Pontus is way up there by Bithynia on the shore of the Black Sea, out of sight. Do you see Pontus now? Do you see Pontus now up here with Bithynia? That's where Aquila was born. If the Bible, if the Bible deems it sufficiently important to tell us, we'll look at it. Now we're down here in Corinth in Achaia. When you read your Bibles and you see the word Achaia, now you know what Achaia is referring to. Achaia is the southern half of Greece. Macedonia was the northern half of Greece. And sometimes Paul will just say, they of Achaia have done this or done that, when he means Corinth, the big church of Christ in Achaia. And sometimes he'll say, they of Macedonia. And you need to read the context a little better because it could be Thessalonica or Philippi. But just remember those things. They're in the Bible. The Lord wants us to know this is Europe. This is West. This is the gospel coming to us in the West. Born in Pontus, this is Acts 18.2, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. This is a power couple because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. Paul joined up with Aquila and Priscilla, and because he was of the same craft, he had a transferable skill other than preaching, he abode with them. He lived with them and wrought. For by their occupation they were tent makers. So all of them were tent makers together, so they had a transferable skill that they used. Verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Same thing he did in every city. To the Jews first, and he went looking for God's elect. Verse 5, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, remember, they had stayed at Berea, they got to bypass Athens because Paul's moved on quickly. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. Now that's an important statement. He had made that statement in Acts 13 in Antioch of Pisidia, and he makes it again here because he allowed every city to stand on its own as to how it would receive the gospel, each city. And so when he says here, I turn to the Gentiles and I'm through with you Jews, he meant that for Corinth because his next city is Ephesus, chapter 19, and all you've got to do is... Um, Verse 8, and he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. That's the Apostle Paul. See, when Paul said, I turn to the Gentiles, in this passage here in, John, in Acts 18, he is referring only to the city of Corinth at that time, in that sixth verse. Because every, he, said that, he said that also in Antioch of Pisidia, but after Antioch of Pisidia, he would still go to synagogues to preach to the Jews first and let every city stand on its own. 
Verse 7, And he departed thence, and entered into a certain man's house, named Justice, because the Jews have opposed themselves and blasphemed his gospel. So he shook his raiment, letting the dust fly off, and left them to themselves. But he goes into this man's house, named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. Justice, do you worship God? Okay. Then you fit your Bible name. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house. Sounds like the jailer. And it sounds like Lydia. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid. Paul, I know you've got Jews that are opposing themselves and blaspheming, but don't be afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. Don't stop preaching. Don't hold back, for I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. You have heard the truth, because God said there was much people there, and you were part of the much people. The Lord's been so kind to us to bring the gospel to us. I have much people there. See, there are people in cities that are different from the rest of the people in cities. There's God's elect in cities, and there's reprobates. And Paul endured all things for the elect's sakes. And here Paul, God is telling Paul, I have much elect. I have many elect in the city of Corinth. You stay and preach. Don't, don't bail on Corinth like you bailed so quickly on Athens because I've got much people here. It's a phenomenal. Thank you, Lord. Verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, remember, you know that Achaia is the province, and Corinth is just one of its cities. And Gallio is the deputy of this province of Rome. The Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. It's amazing how united people can be when they're going against the truth. And brought Paul to the judgment seat. This is the story I was telling you earlier that I'm happy to read to you the second time. Saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. Get this out of my court. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Isn't this beautiful? The Lord tells Paul, I've got a lot of elect here. I want you to stay and keep preaching to them. Don't be discouraged. Don't hold back. Let it go. Nothing's going to happen to you. Paul couldn't even say one word in his own defense. He didn't need to. And I want to tell you something. Let the Lord do his work. It's always better than yours. Just let him do his work. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. He had brought the Jews there to persecute Paul and to charge him with crimes. And Gallio cared for none of those things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. No, not quite. This is Luke's summary in one verse. This is why we rightly divide the word of truth, and we read it very carefully. He did not sail to Syria yet. He had a very important city that he was going to first, and that's Ephesus. But Paul, this is why we read the Bible carefully. 
I wish I could tell you how important this verse is right here. I wish I could tell you how a verse like this can open up Daniel chapter 7 to you. The little horn of the Roman beast. This verse right, right there. Acts 18 and 18. And sailed thence into Syria. No, he didn't sail next into Syria. So don't read it that way. He went to Ephesus. Then he went to Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. He's taking shipping, having shorn his head in Sencria, for he had a vow. And we have Sencria on our map, and it's not the only time it's going to be mentioned, but there in Sencria, right here next to Corinth, Paul made a vow, shaved his head, took shipping, and came across the Aegean Sea to Ephesus. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus. See, Ephesus isn't in Syria. Syria is way over there where Jerusalem and Antioch are. And he came to Ephesus. Verse 18 simply summarizes what Luke is going to explain in the next three verses. He came to Ephesus and left them there. That's Aquila and Priscilla. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. See, there he is reasoning with the Jews immediately after saying in verse 6 of this chapter that he would not reason with the Jews anymore. But in verse 6, it's Corinth. Here in verse 19, it's Ephesus. Each city stood on its own. Verse 20, when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. Aquila and Priscilla and any other believers there wanted Paul to stay longer, but he wouldn't. Verse 21, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So the red line is correct on your map. He sailed from Ephesus. He did not sail directly from Corinth or Sencria to Syria. He sailed to Ephesus first and was there just a short time, and he will go back there on his third trip. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, and you can see that a port city. If it's a port city, what altitude is it at? Sea level. Was Jerusalem at sea level or was Jerusalem built on seven mountains? Mount Moriah? Mount Zion, it's up. So look at how verse 22 reads, And when he, that is Paul, had landed after a long sailing trip from Ephesus at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. Now it doesn't give us a name. Are we correct in picking Jerusalem? Where were the feasts held? Why did he shave his head? What church was up? What church would he need to go salute once in a while? And then he went down because he went back down to sea level because Antioch was at sea level on a river that ran into the Mediterranean Sea. And so we have Paul's second preaching trip, and that's why you've heard the gospel. Otherwise, it would have been just kept to the Jews. For 1,500 years, it was kept to the Jews. They only had prophets. They only had scripture. Before that 1,500 years... For 2,500 years before that, only the patriarchs. Only the patriarchs. And God winked at the ignorance of the Gentiles, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, including us. And we thank you, God, for sending your gospel to us so that we might know the great gift you made of your son, the Jewish Messiah, but the Savior of Gentiles. And we thank you for it, Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.